Hello, my friends, and thanks for downloading another weekly episode of the Money Girl podcast. My name is Laura Adams. I'm an award-winning personal finance author who's been hosting this show and publishing books, ebooks, and audiobooks since 2008. I'm really glad to have you as part of this community and tuning in for this week's show. This week is for anyone who is thinking about buying your first house. And it's really for anybody who's thinking about buying a home in general, even if you're already a home buyer. But a lot of these tips that I'm going to cover today will really be pertinent for somebody who's never been through the experience before. Buying your first house is a really big decision. And not only is it a major financial investment, but where you buy, the location of your home, that's going to determine a lot about your life. It's going to determine the community that you tap into, who your neighbors are, and perhaps where your children go to school. And right now, I'm actually not a homeowner. I'm renting uh, because I've been in cities where I wasn't really sure I was going to stay. We were in the Bay Area for several years and rented there, and it was actually cheaper to rent there. We'll talk about uh, about some of those considerations. And in Austin, the same thing. We're actually not going to be staying in Austin long term, so I'm renting here. But if becoming a homeowner is one of your financial goals, I want to recommend that you begin preparing for that process as far in advance as possible. And it's very likely that I will become a homeowner again. I have lots of rental properties Uh, that I do own. But as far as my primary residence, I've just chosen to be a renter for the last few years. So in this podcast, you're going to learn seven key home buying tips to get prepared, to save money for a down payment, and to ultimately become a happy homeowner. Plus, I'm going to cover some generational trends and challenges that millennials, Gen Xers, baby boomers, and the silent generation may face when buying a home. This is episode number 585, Buying Your First House, Seven Tips for Millennials and Other Generations. All right, let's start out by talking about some of the trends that we're seeing for buying a home. I thought a recent study by the National Association of Realtors was pretty interesting. They found that 36% of home buyers are millennials or Gen Y. So those are people who are under age 37 or age 37 or younger right now. And 65% of those buyers are first-time buyers, and they're also married couples. So this shows that millennials are increasingly buying single-family homes, and they also showed that they're buying homes in the suburbs. Gen X buyers who range from age 38 to 52, make up the second largest portion of home buyers. They are 26% of the home buying market. And the NAR report shows that these buyers are ethnically diverse, they're in their peak earning years, and they tend to purchase more expensive homes when compared to other generations. They're also the most likely to choose homes based on convenience to work and also the quality of school districts, since they're you know, more, probably more likely to have kids in school. The next generation are the boomers, and they're broken down into younger boomers and older boomers. So younger baby boomers range in age from 53 to 62. They make up 18% of home buyers, and they're typically moving for a job or to downsize after their kids leave home. 
older boomers are in the range of 63 to 71, and they make up 14% of home buyers. They're more likely to move the longest distances for retirement, to downsize, or to be closer to family and friends. And those age 72 to 92 are part of the silent generation. They make up just 6% of home buyers. And that's because most in this age range have already retired. They also have the lowest income compared to other age groups. And they're more likely to purchase a residence in a senior care facility than they would be to purchase a detached single-family home. Now, the process of buying a home is largely the same, no matter your age. But in this podcast, I'm going to highlight some things that may help you overcome some of the challenges that you may face depending on your generation and also how to get the best home deal possible, no matter if it's your first or your 10th home. The first tip I'll give you is know when to stop renting. Most of us start out renting when we're young because, you know, it doesn't cost very much. It doesn't require a big upfront financial investment like buying a home does. But the downside to renting is that your monthly payments are a pure expense. In other words, once you pay rent, that money is gone forever. But when you own a home, it comes with some nice financial perks, including amortization. This is what happens to your loan when you've got a fixed rate mortgage. It slowly reduces your outstanding loan balance with every mortgage payment that you make. So that helps you slowly build equity in your home over time. That can't happen when you're renting. Appreciation is another perk. That allows you to build equity as the market value of your home rises over time. Again, can't get that when you're renting. And the third big benefit is a tax deduction. It's now capped at $10,000 per year for your mortgage interest and property taxes. So it's not as rich a deduction as we used to be able to get for a home. But nonetheless, $10,000 is nothing to sneeze at. So that's something that you're not going to get, obviously, as a renter. Additionally, when you own a home, you can have the lifestyle that you want. Maybe you want to spread out, express your personal style with, you know, painting your home or decor. Uh, That's probably something that you would not be able to do if you were renting. But I will say that depending on where you live, as I mentioned, renting may be more affordable than owning a comparable home. This is usually the case in big cities such as New York and San Francisco. And that's also been the case where I am in Austin. Uh, Downtown, the prices are definitely cheaper to rent than to buy. Renting also comes with a convenient lifestyle, especially if you don't like dealing with maintenance or doing yard work, or if you're like me and you travel somewhat frequently. It's really nice to be able to just shut the door, walk away, and, and not worry about something happening while you're gone. So no matter your age, knowing if you should buy a home really depends on where you want to live, the lifestyle that you prefer, and also how stable your future income is likely to be. If you don't have stable income, I would say getting a mortgage is is pretty risky. You would definitely be better off renting. All right, the second tip for buying a home is to focus on building credit. 
For the vast majority of home buyers, you're going to need to qualify for a home mortgage. Building credit is always important, and if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you know that building credit is something that I talk about a lot. It's important for many reasons, and it benefits your financial life in many ways, but it's especially critical before buying a home. Whether you're a first-timer or a seasoned homeowner, your credit is going to be a primary factor that mortgage lenders consider when evaluating you. Not only does repairing and building credit help you get approved for a mortgage in the first place, it's going to be the key to locking in the lowest interest rate possible, and that's going to save you huge amounts of money over the life of your loan. Let me give you an example. Let's say you get a $200,000 fixed rate mortgage and you've got excellent credit. You're going to pay about $145,000 in interest with a 30-year loan. But if you have average credit, so your credit is not excellent, but it's, you know, kind of one step below that is average, you're going to pay close to $190,000 in interest for that very same loan. So having less than stellar credit could cost you $45,000 just in interest. And even if you sell your home before paying off the mortgage in full, having excellent credit is going to translate into a lower monthly payment. It would be $125 less, in my example, than if you have average credit. So thinking about what you could do with that $125 per month, I mean, you can do so much if you invested it for retirement instead of paying it to a mortgage company. That could easily grow into a nest egg worth over $200,000 within 30 years. So remember that small financial habits like how you handle credit are going to really add up over the long run. And I did a whole podcast about this called Six Steps to Build or Repair Your Credit Before Buying a Home. So if you are in a situation where your credit is not as good as you would like it to be and you are thinking about a home, I would definitely recommend that you go back and listen to that podcast. It's going to give you key strategies to follow ahead of your home loan application. And as you know, building credit takes time. So millennial home buyers may have a short credit history or even a lot more debt like student loan debt compared to Gen X and baby boomer buyers. That means millennials should review their credit reports and make financial adjustments earlier in the home buying process than older buyers. All right, tip number three is check into first-time homebuyer programs. There are many great programs for first-time homebuyers that may include mortgage interest subsidies or even down payment assistance. But did you know that even if you owned a home in the past, you may still be eligible? Believe it or not, because I have not owned a home in the past six years, I would be considered a first-time homebuyer when it comes to a primary residence. That's because many first-time homebuyer programs define a first-timer as someone who has not owned real estate in the past three years. So be sure to investigate and ask your mortgage lender how these programs could save you money, no matter your age or even if you're like me and you owned a home in the past. The Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, and one of its agencies called the Federal Housing Administration, or FHA, 
have helped more than 30 million people become homeowners since 1934. These agencies don't actually make loans, but they insure loans. That means lenders that give these loans are going to get paid even if the borrowers don't make their loan payments. That encourages lenders to give mortgages to hopeful home buyers who might not qualify for a loan otherwise. With an FHA loan, you don't need excellent credit and you don't even need much of a down payment to qualify. The loan limits for a single family home vary throughout the country, but they typically range from the low 100,000s to just over 200,000. Ask your lender for details about FHA programs for first timers, or you could contact a HUD housing counselor for free or low cost advice about your options. And I'll put a link to those resources in the notes for this show. They'll be in the Money Girl section at quickanddirtytips.com. Tip number four, which is estimate how much down payment money you'll need. Before you can qualify for a mortgage, you're going to need to prove to a potential lender that you have enough in savings to fund a down payment. This is just a one-time cash payment that you pay at the home closing. And you've got to make a down payment because home lenders generally will not finance 100% of the purchase price. And the bigger the down payment you can make, the less risky the loan is for the lender. And that may also benefit you in terms of getting a lower interest rate. Plus, there are closing costs in addition to a home's purchase price. These costs are going to vary depending on where you buy a home. But remember that in real estate, everything is negotiable. So when you make a purchase offer on a home, you can request that the seller pay some or all of your closing costs. You can also haggle with your mortgage lender not to charge certain upfront fees. And if you do negotiate with a lender to avoid fees, just make sure that it doesn't cost you more in the long run. They can make up for fees by charging you a higher interest rate or including fees in the total amount of the loan, which means that you'd end up paying interest on your closing costs. That's not a good idea. The money for a down payment can come from your savings or even from gifts from your family if you're so fortunate. And if you're already a homeowner, your down payment can come from the money you make when you sell your current home. If you can make a 20% down payment on a home, you will avoid paying private mortgage insurance, or PMI. PMI is a special type of insurance that lenders typically require you to pay when you borrow more than 80% of the value of a property, even if you have excellent credit. So exactly how much down payment you'll need is somewhat difficult to pin down. It's going to depend on the price of the home, the type of mortgage you get, and customary closing costs in your market. In general, you're going to need enough cash to cover three main types of costs. The first is earnest money. This is a good faith deposit that you make on a home when you submit an offer. The customary amount varies by market, but it might range from 1% to 3% of your offer price. So if your offer gets accepted, those funds are applied toward your closing costs. But if not, your earnest money is returned to you. 
The second type of money is down payment. So this is the percentage of the home price that you've got to pay at closing. And the more you put down, the lower your mortgage payments will be. Some loans require you to pay 10% to 20% of the purchase price. Other loans designed for first-time homebuyers, such as the FHA loan that I mentioned, may only require 3% down, and other lenders may only require 5% down for a regular loan. So it will vary depending on the lender that you go with. And the third type of expenses are your closing costs. So these are the fees that you've got to pay at the settlement or the closing table. They typically include the loan origination fee, the appraisal on the home, uh, the survey, inspections, and attorney fees, taxes, title insurance, and any other processing expenses. And they can add up. You should receive an estimate of your total closing costs from your lender, And if you're working with a real estate agent, they can estimate some of these for you as you go into a deal. So you're, you know, getting a a closer estimate to the actual number that you would need on closing day. Tip number five, save your down payment in the right place. Once you begin saving money for a house down payment, you'll probably get a little anxious about where to keep it. You might be tempted to invest it with the hope of turbocharging its growth. As you know, financial markets are volatile in the short term, which means you could lose all or a significant portion of your money right before you need it. So I don't recommend investing your down payment money unless you don't plan to buy for, let's say, five or six years in the future. Instead, I would prefer that you put your down payment savings in a high-yield FDIC-insured savings account. That will ensure that your money is completely safe, it's going to give you flexibility, and it'll earn a little interest to boot. Online banks typically offer the highest interest rates because they don't have much overhead as institutions with local branches do. However, local credit unions can be competitive if you qualify for membership. So shop around to find the best place to put your money when you're saving for a down payment. And tip number six get pre-approved for a mortgage. Once you're ready to become a homeowner, you've got good credit and you've got plenty of down payment money, the next step is to get pre-approved. Not only does a pre-approval tell you how much home you can afford, it indicates that you're a serious buyer who could close a deal quickly. Depending on the seller's circumstances, being able to close quickly could give you a huge leg up. The seller may accept your offer instead of a higher one that would take longer to close. But remember that just because you're pre-approved for a certain amount doesn't mean you should borrow all of that amount. You'll have other costs every month in addition to the mortgage payment. These are called the PITI, which stands for Principal Interest taxes, and insurance. So principal is the repayment of the amount you borrowed. Mortgage interest is the payment to the lender for the use of the money that you borrowed. Home insurance protects you and the lender against damage from many, but not all, disasters such as theft, vandalism, and legal hazards. And property taxes are annual city and county assessments. Taxes and insurance can be rolled into your mortgage payment and then paid by your lender on your behalf. Additionally, you'll have to pay utilities, maintenance, and perhaps homeowner association dues. So don't make the mistake of stretching your finances too far to buy a home. It may leave you house rich, but cash poor and unable to save for other goals such as retirement. 
And our last tip, number seven, be a savvy negotiator. When you make an offer on a home, use your poker face with the seller and even with the real estate agents involved. As I mentioned, in real estate, everything is negotiable. So be interested, but not too eager. Most sellers expect you to negotiate on one or more factors of the deal, such as the purchase price, potential repairs, and closing costs. Always make a purchase offer contingent on the results of a professional home inspection, a clue home insurance report. I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you're not sure what that is, and any additional evaluations customary in your area, such as a termite report. Do your due diligence carefully. And before the closing, you should receive the settlement statement. This is known as the HUD-1 form, and it may come from the real estate agent, the closing attorney, or the title company. You want to review it carefully because this will be your last opportunity to ask questions about charges you don't understand or make any necessary changes. The closing agent will have a stack of documents for you and the seller to sign, and you can handle a closing in person or you can even do it remotely through the mail. The mortgage and the deed will be recorded in the county records registry, and you'll receive a copy of everything. And then finally, you can celebrate becoming a homeowner. As you're shopping, remember that it's very easy to get swept up in the beauty of a home, its decor, its neighborhood, or the new lifestyle that you envision there. But take a step back and view every real estate purchase as an investment, even if it's going to be your home sweet home. All right, a quick review. Seven tips for buying your first house. Number one, know when to stop renting. Number two, focus on building credit. Number three, check into first-time homebuyer programs. Number four, estimate how much down payment money you'll need. Number five, save your down payment in the right place. Number six, get pre-approved for a mortgage. And seven, be a savvy negotiator. I hope these tips will help you with your first purchase or even your 10th purchase. If you've got a money question or a comment, I'd love for you to call our voicemail line. It's 302 364-0308. You can leave your voice message 24-7. And if you'd like to get a weekly or sometimes weekly update from me, please visit lauradadams.com or text GETUPDATES to 33444. It's a short email filled with tips, tools, and resources that I think you might enjoy. And if you're not into email, another great way to stay in touch is to follow me on Instagram at Laura D. Adams, or join my private Facebook group called Dominate Your Dollars. Just search for it in Facebook or text dollars, D-O-L-L-A-R-S, to 33444 for your invitation to join. Money Girl is produced by the audio wizard Steve Rickyberg with editorial support from the lovely Biana Santora. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. And if you've already done that, thank you so much. It's an easy, free way to give back, show your 